Isaiah chapter 40, starting from verse 12, page 658. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or marked off the heavens with the span of his hand? Who has gathered the dust of the earth in a measure, or weighed the mountains in a balance, and the hills in the scales? Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord? Or who gave him his counsel? Who did he consult with? Who gave him understanding and taught him the paths of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Look, the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are considered as a speck of dust in the scales. He lifts up the islands like fine dust. Lebanon is not enough for fuel, or its animals enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are considered by him as nothingness and emptiness. Who will you compare God with? What likeness will you compare him to? To an idol? something that a smelter casts and a metal worker plates with gold and makes silver welds for it? To one who shapes a pedestal, choosing wood that does not rot? He looks for a skilled craftsman to set up an idol that will not fall over. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning Have you not considered the foundations of the earth? God is enthroned above the circle of the earth. Its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like thin cloth and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He reduces princes to nothing and makes judges of the earth irrational. They are barely planted, barely sown. Their stem hardly takes root in the ground when he blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind carries them away like stubble. Who will you compare me to or who is my equal? asked the Holy One. Look up and see who created these. He brings out the starry host by number. He calls all of them by name. Because of his great power and strength, not one of them is missing. Jacob, why do you say, and Israel, why do you assert, my way is hidden from the Lord and my claim is ignored by my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? Yahweh is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never grows faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. He gives strength to the weary and strengthens the powerless. Youths may faint and grow weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary, and they will walk and not faint. Second reading comes from Revelation 15. Uh, it's 
on the screen, starting at verse 1, going through to verse 4. That's page 1135. Revelation 15, starting at verse 1. Then I saw another great and awe-inspiring sign of heaven. Seven angels with the seven last plagues, for with them God's wrath will be completed. I also saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and those who had won the victory over the beast, his image, and the number of his name were standing on the sea of glass with harps from God. They sang the song of God's servant Moses and the song of the Lamb. Great and awe-inspiring are your works, Lord God the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways. King of the nations... Lord, who will not fear and glorify your name? Because you alone are holy. For all the nations will come and worship before you. Because your righteous acts have been revealed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Bert. Thanks, Polly. We're going to do two weeks of topical preaching this week and next. Next week, I'm, I'm going to look at the, uh, the mercy of God and therefore why we should show mercy to other people. Uh, tonight, I've chosen a, a topic which I think is missing from this church and I think it's missing from most of our Christian lives. Uh, I'm not talking about the, the love of God. I'm not talking about the compassion of God. I'm not talking about the kindness of God, I'm talking about the fear of God. The fear of the Lord. And when I say that word fear, I don't mean quaking your boots, I don't mean that terrifying dread of God. What I mean by the fear of the Lord is that awe of God, that reverence for God, that adoration of an all-powerful, an almighty, a majestic, a splendid, a, a big God. And when was the last time that you actually got on your knees before God in a position of humility before a, a, an almighty God and you cried out to him and you said, God, you are so big and you are so powerful and I am so small and I'm so weak. I want to praise you and adore you and stand in awe of just how majestic you really are. When was the last time you did that? And we're teaching kids' church. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing that he cannot do. We teach it to our kids, but we don't believe it, do we? Because when the smallest problem comes into our life, We're so consumed by this little issue in our life that we forget that we've got a big God out there who is all-powerful and who is all-strong and is almighty. And we should adore him and stand in awe of him. You know, we sing, How great is our God, sing with me, how great is our God. We're not singing about how nice God is. Singing how great he is. What does that word great mean? 
great means that he is majestic, he is powerful, he is mighty, he is splendid, he is awesome. So do you ever stand in awe of your God and fear him as God? That, that phrase, fear the Lord, comes over 150 times in the Bible. Over 150 times you're told to fear him, to stand in awe of him, to revere him as God. There's a quote here, Proverbs 14, 27. The fear of the Lord is a life-giving fountain. The fear of the Lord is a beginning of wisdom. It's saying there that if you want to live life well, if you want to enjoy life, then make sure that you have the fear of the Lord on your radar. Stop living your life as though God is small and God is safe and God is puny. Remember the quote from the lion, the witch in the wardrobe? Talking about Aslan. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Mrs. Beaver said, That you will, my dear, and make no mistake. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just plain silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he is good. And he's the king, I tell you. You see, my fear is that many of us here just see God as this nice, safe commodity. And we run to him when we need him. And we give him the nod when we feel like it. But we don't revere him as God. There's a quote on the screen by Oswald Chambers. The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you don't fear God, you fear everything else. Blessed is the one that feareth the Lord. And that's true. I can testify to that. When you start to revere God as God and see how powerful and majestic and splendid and awesome he is, when you've got your right reverence of God, then, then all your little fears in life, all your little problems in life, they start to take a different perspective, don't they? So let me ask you, what are you fearful of in life? What are you afraid of in life? Are you afraid of loneliness? Are you fearful of failure? Are you fearful of disappointment or sickness or, or sadness or disease? Are you, are you fearful of the unknown? Are you fearful of losing your freedom or are you fearful of rejection or ridicule? They're, they're all right things to be anxious about. But, but when you, you put that in perspective of a God who is all-powerful and all-knowing and almighty then he could fix all those things in a flash, couldn't he? 
But the problem is that we wallow in our fear and we're paralyzed in our fear and we don't actually run to the one who can actually put them into perspective. So fear God and then you'll fear nothing else. You know the book of uh, Ecclesiastes that the teacher looks at life under the sun and looks at work and says that's meaningless and wealth is meaningless and pleasure is meaningless and possessions are meaningless. And he says, what's life all about? What's the purpose of life? Here's a summary statement of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. Fear God and keep his commands because this is for all humanity. If you want to live life well, Get your reverence for God right. Your fear of God right. But you say, Paul, what is fear? What does it mean to fear God? Let me try and illustrate it. I want you to imagine that you are an Israelite. And you've been enslaved in Egypt for 40 years. And you've seen God's powerful hand with the plagues. And you've seen God's powerful hand at the Passover. And you've seen his provision. And Pharaoh has let you go. And you're running and you're running and you're running. And there's that moment where you reach the edge of the Red Sea. And you look behind you and there's the Egyptians chasing after you. In front of you is the sea. Behind you are the Egyptians. How are you feeling at this moment? Terrified? Afraid? Of course you are. But what happens next? You see the mighty power of God, don't you? He parts the waters. And so you've got wall on one side, you've got wall on the other side, and you walk through on dry ground. How are you feeling then? Amazed? Relieved? Awestruck at his power? But then you reach the other side and you see the Egyptians following you and chasing after you. You're terrified again. And then you see God's mighty power do what? Bring those walls, walls, walls of water crashing down, destroying your enemies, bringing you freedom, setting you free, rescuing you. Now, how are you feeling as a, an Israelite who has seen the power of God, who has felt the presence of God, who knows the love of God? How are you feeling? Exodus 14, verse 31. When Israel saw the great power of the Lord. The people feared him. They were in awe of him. They revered him as their God. That's what it means to fear God, to live your life. To live your life knowing him, knowing that he is awesome. He is powerful and yet he loves you. And be amazed at that love. Please, would you have an awe of God's greatness? I want to ask you, how big is your God? How great is the God that you worship? I hope he's not small and safe and contained. Look at Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40 verse 12. Let's see how big God really is, how great he is, and why we should fear him. Isaiah 40, verse 12. Who has measured 
the waters in the hollow of his hand or, or marked off the heavens with the span of his hand. Will you do something for me? I know, I know that we don't normally participate in service, but would you hold your hand up like this? Now look at the hollow of your hand. Just, just, just cup it. How, how much water do you think you could hold in the hollow of your hand? A couple of teaspoons? Now read verse 12 again. Who has measured the waters of the world in the hollow of his hand? God has. And just so you get that, you know, about two-thirds of the earth's surface is covered in waters, and it's, at points it's 10 kilometers deep. That, that's a huge amount of water, isn't it? And if you can imagine God just cupping his hands, and he says, "Ah, oh, it's nothing to me. That's how big God is. Or, or look at your hand again. Just do that. What, what's the distance between your, your thumb and your little finger? About 10 centimeters? What, what can you measure with that? Not a lot. Verse 12 again, where God marks off the heavens with the span of his hand. God marks off the galaxies just by holding his hand up like that. And again, so you get it, the, the nearest star is about 26 trillion miles away. That's just one star. But all the galaxies of the world, well, God, God measures them with just a span of his hand. That's how big he is. He weighs the mountains, verse 12, in the balance. No, he just picks up Mount Kosciuszko. He just picks up Mount Everest and the Himalayas and the Andes. He just chucks them on a scale because he's so majestic. He's so mighty. He's so powerful. Look down to verse 15. Look, the nations are like a drop in a bucket. Just one drop of water in a bucket. It's meaningless. It's insignificant. They're considered as a speck of dust in the scales. I was at Woolies this afternoon doing our grocery shopping. Can you imagine if I went to the, the, uh, the checkout and uh, they're weighing my bananas and they say, I said to them, oh, could you just brush off the dust before you weigh my bananas? I don't want to pay for the dust. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Because dust is insignificant. And God looks at the nations, looks at Australia and China and, and America and all these powerful nations and says, they're just nothing compared to how big I am. So verse 18, who will you compare God with? Who is great like your God? Who is big like your God? Who is powerful like your God? Tell me. Do you not know, verse 21, have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not considered the foundations of the earth? We are just creatures, verse 22. We're like grasshoppers. We are small. We are puny and powerless and helpless. But God is the creator God. The majestic one. Verse 23, he reduces princes to nothing. They're not powerful. So verse 25, who you compare me to? And who is my equal, asked the Holy One. Look up. Who created these things? Maybe that's your problem with the fear of God. Maybe you don't fear God and revere God and stand in awe of him because you've never grasped just how powerful he really is. 
If that is you, after church tonight, no, after the farewell drinks tonight, drive, drive, to, drive to Manly, park your car, walk to the North Heads, close your eyes and hear the waves come crashing against the rock or look up to the stars and just look at all those stars in the sky and just say, God created every single one of those and he knows them all by name. That's how big God is. And I challenge you, you cannot have a, a big, massive, mighty God like that and you just treat him as your buddy and your mate. You should just stand in awe of him and go, wow, how great is our God. So please stand in awe of God's greatness. And then revere his holiness. Because God isn't just great, he is holy. See what it says in verse 25? Who you compare me to and who is my equal asks the Holy One. Isaiah is the same man who had that vision of the Lord enthroned in heaven in Isaiah chapter 6. Remember that chapter? And the seraphim are the sinless creatures and uh, when they, they see the, the almighty enthroned God, they, they hide their eyes because they can't look at him and live and they cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The earth is filled with his glory. And the word holy just means he is other, he is distinct, he is perfect in purity, he is completely separate. You know in the Bible that Hebrew language doesn't, doesn't have superlatives, you don't have good, better, best. You just repeat the same word if you want to emphasize it, so you say good, good. You say holy, holy, he is holier than holy. There's only one word in the Bible that's repeated three times in a row. It's not love, it's not compassion, it's not kind, it's holy, holy, holy. He is holier than holy. He is the holiest of all holiest. There's no one like him. He's completely other, completely pure. We can't even look at his face and live. That's what Isaiah, when he comes face to face with the Holy God, remember what he does? He says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. Remember the Apostle John, when he sees the risen, ascended Lord Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, what does he do? He falls at his feet as though dead. Revelation 15 verse 4 says, Lord, who will not fear you and glorify your name? Because you alone are holy. And maybe that's your problem with fearing God. You've lost sight that he's a holy God. He, he's just nice. He's just kind. He's just loving. He's all those things, but he's also holy. Please don't mess with him. And I know Jesus has come, and I know the curtain's been torn in two, and I know that we can enter the presence of God with boldness because of Christ. Hallelujah for that. But God is still holy, isn't he? So fall at your feet. Revere him. It, it does sadden me, you know, that in church we've kind of lost you know, the, the, the physical, positional, body language of our reverence for God. If God is really holy and God is really great, 
then the position where you actually just get on your, get on your knees before him, just with empty hands, that, that's the right position, isn't it? To revere him and fear him as your Lord. But if that was just it, my friends, if God was just great and God was just holy, then your fear of him would be that sort of terrifying, quake-in-your-boots kind of fear. But he's not just great and not just holy. He's also loving, isn't he? Psalm 130. Lord, if you consider sins, who could stand? But with you there's forgiveness so that you may be feared. Do you find that a weird verse? When you marvel at the forgiveness of God, you fear him. He's still a consuming fire, but he's a loving heavenly father as well. He's forgiven your sins. And that's the right type of fear. The right type of Christian fear is God is great and God is holy. But because of Christ, that divine wrath has been paid and we get divine forgiveness. And he's not a a tyrant. He's a, a loving heavenly father. If you're going to fear God well, you've got to appreciate how much he really loves you. Jerry Bridges read a great book on fearing God and he says he decided one day to to pray and ask God to show him how much he loves him. How do you think God answered that prayer? Jerry Bridges said for the next weeks and months, all God did was show him how sinful he was. And pointed out more and more and more of his sin. And then as he understood more of his sin, he understood how, how loving God really was. Now, what, what, what kind of loving heavenly father would just accept him with all his wretchedness and all his failures? That's how much God loves him. I hope you grasped the love of your heavenly father. Because he's the kind of father who, you know, when you were a child you got scared. Maybe you still do get scared. But when you were a child, you got scared, you got frightened. What did you do? Ran to mum or dad? Why did you go to them? Because they were safe and they loved you. And they would pick you up and they would hold you. And in, in their loving arms, you just felt secure, didn't you? And you were not, you were not afraid anymore. That's the kind of fear of God. Stand in awe of him, fall down and revere him, but be amazed at his love for you and run to him always because he can carry you and he cares for you. So adore him as your God. So how do you do it? How do you fear the Lord? It's all about your attitude. It's all about your attitude towards God. It's the way you talk about God, the way you run to God, the way that you trust God, even when life is falling apart. It's your expectations of God. You're not going to fear him if you don't know him. And you won't know him unless you read about him, unless you open the scriptures and actually meet God face to face in the words of the scriptures. How on earth are you going to fear a God that you don't know? Maybe that's your problem. Maybe your problem with God is that you just don't know him well. Oh, you come to church occasionally. And someone like me stands up and preaches from the Bible. Apart from that, this book just stays shut all the rest of the week. 
If that is you, can I just say that I actually feel sorry for you. I don't mean that patronizingly, but you're really missing out. (laughs) You're missing out on getting to know the most amazing, majestic, awesome, powerful God who can do the most amazing things for you. And he wants to know you. And he wants you to know him. He says, open this, open my word. Proverbs chapter 2 says this, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, listening closely to wisdom and directing your heart to understanding, if you call out for insight and lift your voice to understanding, if you seek it like silver and search it like a hidden treasure, then you'll understand the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. And when you come to the scriptures and you dig deep and you, you sit and you meditate and you let God teach you and you discover the gems in scripture, not just all the, the safe stuff that you already know, but new truths about God that you've never understood before. You get this bigger picture of how majestic God is and then you fear him. Now, I don't stand here and preach week after week after week to offer you helpful suggestions on how to have a better life. I stand here and preach because I love you and I want you to love God more and know God more. I want you to leave here with a bigger vision of how majestic and powerful God is. John Bunyan says this, The fear of God flows from a sound impression that the word of God makes on your soul. God gave Israel good laws, statutes and judgments that they might learn them and in learning them they might learn to fear their God. The extent that man drinks good doctrine to his soul, to that extent he will fear God. If he drinks in much, he will fear God greatly. If he drinks in little, he will fear God little. And if he drinks not at all, he will fear God not at all. So fear God by your attitude towards the word. Love it. Let it soak into you. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then do it and obey it. You know, 150 times the the Bible says, fear the Lord. And about 50 of those times it links fear the Lord with obedience to his word. Isn't that amazing? Fear the Lord so that you might obey his commands. Fear the Lord and keep his commands. Keep his commands so that you will fear the Lord, it says. Now, I I can spot the, the men and women who really do revere God and fear God. They're not the people who sort of shiver and quake. They're the people with this this tunnel vision that they want to please their God. They want to live for his glory. They want to do what the Bible says. Out of their mouth, they don't talk about, well, I like to think that. They say, well, God's word tells me that. And they don't come to me and say, well, you know, I know the Bible says this, but I don't want to do it. They say, look, I'm really struggling with this, Paul, but you know, the Bible says it, so I will do it. They're willing. They are eager To keep the commands of God because they believe that God is true. So will you obey him? And will you depend on him? That's the last way you're going to fear God. Depend on him in every 
situation, in every circumstance. You know, in Psalm 139, where it talks about God sees everything and God knows everything before a word's on my tongue. You know it, O Lord. And then the psalmist says, oh, where, will I, where can I flee from your presence? And I think we read that verse, where can I flee from your presence? If I go down to the depth, you are there. If I go to the heights, you're there. We, we, we kind of read it as though the psalmist is trying to run away from God. A bit scared of God. That's completely wrong. When, when the psalmist says, where can I flee from your presence? He's saying, God, I can't. Because wherever I try and go, you're there right there with me. And when I feel all alone and when I'm afraid, guess who's there with me? You are God. And when I'm paralyzed by these human fears at my little problems, I'm not alone. Because you're there with me, God. And you hold me by your right hand. Nothing's hidden from your sight. You know my struggles, you know my pain, you know my fear of failure, you know my fear of disappointment, you know my fear of singleness, you know my fear of anxiety, you know all that stuff. And you're right there with me, God, so I can depend on you. Because my life is in your hands. So I'll ask you again, when was the last time you really feared God? This is the last time you just sat before your majestic, powerful, holy, awesome, loving, heavenly Father and you just fell on your knees and you just adored him and you revered him as God. Psalm 112 says this. Blessed are those who fear the Lord. You find great delight in his commands. I want to be blessed. And I want you to be blessed. And the Bible says, well, fear God. And revere him as God. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we adore you, we worship you, we stand in awe of you. You are almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing, and you are all-good. Forgive us, Father, for times we have treated you flippantly. We've seen you as small and safe. Forgive us for times when we have been so slack in wanting to know you better. And enlarging our vision of just how majestic you really are. Fill our minds with wonderful and glorious truths about your greatness and your power and your holiness. That we might fear you as we should. And obey you as we ought. In Jesus name.